Okay, uh, we are going to start with Galatians. I know the title of the class is Romans, but we finished Romans. And Romans and Galatians go well together, so we're uh, turn to Galatians chapter 1. And uh, we've got three weeks here to talk about Galatians. No, we will not get into the prison. Okay, you're doing prison epistles. Good. So, Hilton, Josh Strahan. This fall. Good. I don't want the excitement to build too quickly. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's good to lower expectations wherever possible. It's trying to be all, all of you stay calm, but it will be this fall. <laughs> now, um, so Paul wrote the prison epistles later in his don't, ministry. Don't I'm going to compare that to Galatians. Uh, Galatians, I think he wrote it uh, close to Romans. There are some people who think he wrote it earlier and maybe one of his first letters. It depends on um, what the term Galatians refers to. And it gets technical and scholars uh, still argue about it. Uh, it can refer to, it technically refers to a, a nationality of people, I think related to the Gauls, um, that lived further up north from where Paul went on his first missionary journey. So Paul, if if it's the Gauls, then uh, he would have gone there possibly on his second missionary journey. But the Roman province called Galatia was bigger than just uh, that area where the Gauls lived. And so if it refers to just the whole region of Galatians, then he went there on his first missionary journey and it could be written earlier. Um, so that's, that's what the debate's about. It's called North Galatia versus South Galatia. If you're interested, Google that and you can find some Wikipedia articles probably that are probably pretty good. I, I like Wikipedia. I don't know about you guys, but generally I've changed a few things and they change it back. So uh, somebody is reading that stuff that, that knows something about it. Um, I just try to be funny and change things to be funny. But, um, weird professorial humor. That's right. <laughs> um, so what, what has happened, it seems like, uh, Paul's not very happy in Galatians. He's pretty discontent with what's going on. Uh, he went there, founded a church, hoped it would be uh, a church of Jews and Gentiles together. And then he had to leave, and some people came in later and were trying to say, no, you really have to become Jewish to, to follow Christ. Paul... Uh, started you on the right track but we're coming from probably from Jerusalem and we have the updated version and we need to tell you from headquarters that you need to be circumcised you Gentiles uh, everybody needs to keep the law of Moses because that's God's revelation for the world and it's still intact still in place and Paul hears about this and he is not happy so to him, that is a different gospel. So I want us to, to think a few moments about what the word gospel means. Let's read into this, and then we'll, we'll discuss that. Paul, an apostle, sent not with a human commission nor by human authority, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins 
to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let that person be under God's curse. Um, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let that person be under God's curse. That's, that's strong. He, says, he said it twice. Almost said it so nice he said it twice, but it's not very nice. Uh, what do you, um, what would be a common, in our common vernacular way of saying to somebody, may you be under God's curse? <laughs> we can't say that in Sunday school, right? Um, is Paul saying, go to H-E double hockey stick? Is that what he means by, may you be under God's curse? That's pretty strong. If, you, if, you, if somebody preaches a different gospel, they can go to H-E double hockey stick. That's and probably will. <laughs> yes. Uh, he's saying you you will and I want you to. I guess. Um, so I want us to to just kind of do a thought experiment. I'm interested in this term gospel. And I just want us to throw some things up here of what what does that term mean to us in church circles? So this could be things that you've heard in the past doesn't have to be very profound. It could be just whatever comes to mind. I want us to just kind of discuss what, what is the gospel. Pretty basic question, but I think we're going to get into it a little deeper. So, what's gospel? What comes to your mind when you hear the word gospel? Good news. Good news. That, um, that is the etymology of the word. Always check these markers before class is a step I should have taken, but I didn't. Ah, good. So the gospel is good news. And that's, that's what it means just generically. So you can have good news about uh, Caesar winning a battle. In Greek would be called gospel. You don't get good news. Okay, so the gospel is the plan of salvation. Hear, believe. I, class, can we do the five steps of salvation or have we forgotten them? What are they? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. Good job, class. <laughs> And live faithfully. There's actually six steps. If you don't live faithfully, you go to H-E double hockey stick. <laughs> so that's, that's the gospel preaching. Uh, I remember when I started as a preacher, you had to say that those five things at the end of every sermon. Or you weren't preaching the gospel. Yeah. 
What else? For many, it seems to go hand in hand with substitutionary atonement or that that idea of like sins being forgiven through Jesus' death. Yeah. So the gospel for Christians is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. Yeah. We usually equate it with absolute truth too. Okay. Absolute truth. Truth with a capital T. Um, I believe that like it's gospel. Oh yeah, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel truth. That's a strong. That's stronger than just truth. It's gospel truth. Yeah. Good. Anything else you want to put up there? Story. What do you mean by that? So it's a more narrative understanding of the God. Like we have four Gospels that are uh, narratives about the life of Jesus. Yeah. Are they? Is the, hmm. the Gospel is particularly meaningful to the Jews because it contrasted grace to requirements of the law. Okay. Nuance of this. So the gospel is that God saves us by His grace, not by our our doing works of law. Good. Yeah. So in the gospels, when Jesus preaches the good news. The good news is the kingdom of God is near. Um, I want us to look at, at one passage in the Gospels that helped me broaden my understanding of the word gospel. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 22. And when somebody finds that, read it out for us. Yeah, it's, it's the verb form of gospel. So this struck me as I was reading this, uh, and it struck me more in Greek than reading it in English. So you have all you know these reversals, the blind see, deaf hear, I didn't put them all up there. The poor hear the gospel. So to be parallel to if you're deaf, you can hear, which means you're physically change so that you can now hear what would be the message to what would be the parallel to being poor hearing the gospel you won't be poor anymore is the gospel that your sins are forgiven you go to heaven I mean that's true of all those people in the list 
So to be parallel, to hear the gospel, the good news, if poor hear the good news, the good news for them is that I won't be poor. So the kingdom of God is at hand, is a community, family of God that says we're going to take care of the poor. Uh, that's the good news. That's the gospel. So my point here is what that showed to me is that gospel, we tend to think of it just as salvation from your sins or the plan of salvation or atonement. But it's broader to include how we treat one another is part of the gospel. And I think that's what is really making Paul angry <clears throat> is that the Gentiles are being forced to become Jews when for him the gospel is that salvation is for everybody Jew and Gentile um, and you can have salvation through the faithfulness of what Jesus did on the cross and it breaks down this ethnic barrier that was really really big in the ancient world between Jew and Gentile and to him that was so important that if somebody is preaching a gospel that doesn't include being um, ethnically diverse, then that's not the gospel. Does that make sense to you? So I think um, in Galatians, sometimes we, we read it as just being about uh, faith versus works, but it's also about who you can eat with in the ancient world. Uh, eating with somebody is a big deal. We're going to see that Peter, Paul and Peter, had a big disagreement and it's over meals who do you eat with and that to, for Paul that was a very strong statement of eating with people that are Gentiles without keeping all the kosher laws big deal does that make sense anybody have a question or comment on that is there an expansion is there a difference in the celebratory celebrating the news and being good news good news in the stock market goes up Mm -hmm. The celebratory news would be that regardless of the stock market, regardless of the disease, we're above that, we conquer that, we celebrate everybody. So the good news would include the news that's good in addition to the yeah. consequences of that. Yeah, I think that's right. It was, that's not a term that originated with Christians, right? No, it's that not. Like a, yeah. It's like a military or political term or something? Yeah, good news that you want a war or something like that Yeah, for a battle. Good. Okay, and it's interesting to me, too, that he says even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel that's different than the one we preach, let them be accursed. Uh, it doesn't matter who preaches it. It's a content that matters. So we don't have uh, celebrity preachers. Well, we shouldn't have celebrity preachers. The point is, that are they preaching? Is the content right? That's what makes the message important. Yeah. What's it? Fake, fake news? news yeah. <laughs> the God, yeah. Paul doesn't like fake gospels. <laughs> fake news gospel. Okay, uh, let's start with verse 10 then. Am I uh, now trying to win human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So apparently he was being accused of you know, making the gospel more palatable to Gentiles by saying, hey, good news, you don't have to be circumcised for the men. And um, 
and these GDizers are saying, no, no, you really have to. Paul's just trying to, you know, get more converts by watering down the gospel. And Paul's like, hey, I'm not trying to please people because I just said you can go to H-E double toothpicks. <laughs> um, I want you to, yeah. Uh, that word, I mean, it's not being quite that harsh. Is it? Well, it means excommunicated or put, put an- anathema. If you're, not, if you're not in God's presence, you are, but. Yeah, anathema is a curse. Just so he's just saying, okay. let them be cursed. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, maybe I'm. I could be exaggerating. I don't know that he's cussing. You know, like, like I'm pretending to. But, uh, but it, it, it just, it seems a pretty strong statement. Yeah. Well, excommunication. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess if you're not in God's presence, you are. Yeah. Figuratively, you are. Yeah. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this is verse 11, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any human source, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem and see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus." So apparently, you know, people were saying, um, you know, we need to update Paul's message. We're, We're from the headquarters here in Jerusalem. And Paul's like, hey, I got mine straight from the source. Um, I'm not dependent upon Jerusalem for that. Uh, he was set apart from birth. I don't like that because it seems like he didn't have a choice. But that's what he says. He said apart from birth. Uh, so sometimes we just got to accept what the Bible says and try to fit it in. But um, it's not so much about being saved as about his role in the kingdom. He was set apart and selected from birth. And uh, Paul had, you know, the qualifications that were unique for his time and place. He knew Judaism very well, as he says here. And yet he also was raised outside of Israel in uh, Tarsus. And so he, he knew Greek and knew the philosophers and poetry and all that. So he had a combination that, that was unique for being able to preach the gospel of a Messiah, Jewish Messiah to people who are Gentiles. Um, he says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. And it's odd that he uses Cephas sometimes and he uses the name Peter sometimes. I haven't figured out exactly why he uses which where. Um, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. So although Paul on the one hand says, hey, I get my gospel straight from Jesus, he's also showing, I guess, a little humility here to say, but I did want to check with 
uh, the headquarters to make sure that you know we're all on the same page here. He says, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who were held in high esteem, and I think he means the, the apostles, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, he switches back to Cephas, I don't know why, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And grace there means the, the grace of being the apostle to the Gentiles. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Now there's some discussion about matching Paul's description here of his trips to Jerusalem with the ones described in Acts. And it's hard to know exactly how to match those up. Um, I think he's describing here his version of Acts 15 which in, in the book of Acts 15, it looks like a more public meeting, but I think maybe they had a private meeting that Paul's describing here and then announced it publicly. That's, that's my view. Other people match it up with a visit that's barely mentioned in Acts about him taking some money uh, to help the poor in Jerusalem. It's not a, a huge deal breaker type of discussion, but it's interesting to people who try to parse out these details. Uh, the problem with this being Acts 15 is that means he doesn't mention the famine relief visit, it's called. And he's very careful here to say, hey, I'm not lying. This is, this is the truth about my visits to Jerusalem. I don't think it's a lie if you don't tell everything, as long as you tell what's relevant to, this is my, this is my quick take on it. So uh, I think he's, he's not lying, but he's, just, he's mentioning the times that he went and met with the apostles about the gospel my view but could be wrong okay the next part that I like is verse 11 when Cephas came to Antioch so Paul is working with the church in Antioch we know this from Acts they're the first church that really reaches out to Gentiles and lets them come into the church without circumcision and that type of thing and Paul and Barnabas are a big part of that um, and then Peter comes down from Jerusalem to Antioch he says I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. That's, that's big. Barnabas? Paul and Barnabas pretty close for a while. They did have a fight in Acts that made them go on separate journeys. Which I always point out things in Acts where the church doesn't always get along well because we tend to think of the church in Acts as, oh, that's the ideal. That's what we need to pattern our church after. <laughs> well, they have problems even in, even in Acts. Paul and Barnabas have to go on separate mission trips over whether to take John Mark with them or not. But here uh, Barnabas gets drawn away by the example of Peter. And Paul says in verse 14, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, 
I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by observing the law, but by, I'm just going to translate it the way I think it should be, the faith, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by, faith, by the faithfulness of Christ and not by works of law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. That's a pretty significant, uh, your, your translation there, faithfulness of Christ, yeah. is quite different from our faith in Christ. It is, but it's right. Okay. Preaching after all I mean, very literally, it's the faith of Christ. And faith or faithfulness, same word in Greek. And this is a, what's called a genitive, which sometimes can be possessive, but it also has other possible translations. So it's, it could be, it's, it's called the subjective or objective genitive. So if, it, if it's the objective, then faith, Christ is the object of faith, so it's faith in Christ. But if it's subjective, then Christ is the the one doing the faith, the faithfulness of Christ. Now, I think... Uh, yeah. So I think the way to unpack this is Jesus, or Paul is saying that Jesus, as the Jewish Messiah, took the sins of the world uh, by being the sacrifice in the Jewish tradition um, that where sins are taken care of so that God and human beings can be in community with each other. So it plays on the whole sacrificial system from the Old, Old Testament. Um, and Christ was faithful, unlike unfaithful Israel, who was taken into exile because of their unfaithfulness, and expected a Messiah that would then be faithful in our place um, and take on our sins. This is in Isaiah 53. And so through the faithfulness of Christ to that call, the gospel now goes to everybody, both Jew and Gentile. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't need to have faith in Christ because he, he describes this. He says, we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus. That, that's a good translation there. That we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ. So that's that's the way I unpack it. That Paul and we get this, we saw this a lot in Romans. Paul is saying that Jesus, as the Jewish Messiah, fulfilled the promises that were always intended to Abraham to be for the world. So God called Abraham as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve and the flood and the Tower of Babel chapter 11 of Genesis, chapter 12, he calls Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a blessing to the whole world. Abraham's, uh, he chooses certain of Abraham's children that, that leads to Israel. And then, so Israel becomes representative and then that gets narrowed down to an um, expected Messiah who is going to represent Israel. And by representing Israel, he represents everybody on the cross. And that puts an end to uh, the reign of sin and death and opens up the blessing for all people, both Jew and Gentile. So there's a lot here. Um, 
Let's keep reading to the end, and then we're going to come back and unpack a few things. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Therefore, I now live in the body. I live by faith. Again, you can say by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So he's going to talk more about the law in chapter 3 and 4. I think he's basically saying the law had a purpose, but that purpose was to lead us to Christ, and now we're saved through Christ's death on the cross as um, being our representative. So in that sense, we died on the cross. So it's no longer we who live, but Christ lives in us. So for Paul, this idea that the Jewish Messiah died, took on the sins of the world, now the gospel is that all people are saved through the faithfulness of Christ, not through works of the Jewish law. So why are you going back and trying to get people to be circumcised? That's not, that's not the gospel. And why, Peter, why can't you eat with people who are Gentiles? Those, uh, those laws that separate Jew from Gentile, circumcision, food laws, Sabbath keeping, Paul's saying that's not the gospel. Uh, the Jewish Messiah has come and opened up the grace of God for, for Jew and Gentile on the same basis, the faithfulness of Christ, not on the basis of keeping these food laws. So eating is a big consequence of the good news, who you eat with. And uh, Peter was fine eating with Gentiles, but then when some Christian Jews who didn't think you should do that came down, he's like, well, I better try to... You know, there, there would be strong pressure in Jerusalem to, for, for a Jewish Christian to do their best to say to, to Jewish non-Christians, their old friends who didn't convert to Christianity, hey, we're, we can still be together. You know, we're still kind of on the same team. I mean, we believe in Jesus, but, you know, we're still keeping the laws. And so there's some pressure, and Peter had been put in prison for um, preaching the gospel of Christ. So maybe it's like, ah, I've already been persecuted I don't want to be persecuted for helping Gentiles. Um, so it's, it's hard to understand Peter's, what Peter's doing here. Does it surprise you that Peter's an apostle and not doing something right? I thought the apostles kind of had this hotline to God where they knew what to do all the time. I guess I'm wrong about that. I always thought the apostles, you know, they're working miracles, they're getting visions, they're, they should know what the, what the truth is. And here Peter, according to Paul, is not doing what's right. What does that say about the apostles? Human beings. It's a scary thought. Um, and Paul corrects him in public. Later in Galatians, he's going to say, if you correct a brother, do it in private. Um, 
But here he's like, I stood him up to his face <laughs> uh, because he was wrong. Think about the think about the revelation Peter received directly yeah. about the Gentiles. And that's what the wildly known. The, with the food, yeah. With the sheets of heaven opened up, and then now he's actually turning his back. On yeah, he had that vision about Cornelius that included food, right? All these foods, and he said, "I've never eaten anything unclean." And God says, "Well, what I've said, what I've said is clean. Don't you say it's unclean?" So he goes to Cornelius, and when he gets in trouble with uh, the Jewish Christians for Cornelius' deal in Acts, they say, "You went to a Gentile's house and you ate with him." They explicitly mention eating. So eating meals in an ancient world is, is a sign of fellowship and approval that goes beyond maybe what our view of meals is. But, yeah. George, are there any like, modern comparisons to that? Like, can you think of something that we would deal with now that has a similar... I think of race relations, and especially you know, in the civil rights era, but it, you know, we still know that continues now. Um, that the gospel applies to those situations. That's part of the, go- the consequences of the gospel is that we should have a diverse body of Christ. Um, yeah? Peter was kind of practicing separate people. Yes, that's right. That's right. And he, was, he wanted to be offensive. He wanted to not offend the people, like the wrong people, basically. Mm-hmm. In that situation, God says, you always side, side with the person who's yeah. marginalized in some way, and Peter was like, I would rather impress the impressive people. Yeah. We do that a lot. Today. You have to decide who you're going to offend. Are you going to offend the traditional conservatives, or are you going to offend the marginalized, or the... I mean, that's not always that way, but... Um, I think about it with, do you, do you allow women to pray in a class or something? Some people might be offended by that, but what about the women who are offended if they can't? Who are you going to choose to offend on that? Yeah. So I think as we read through Galatians, we're going to see that, that its applications are not just about doing works or as in the sense of do we have to do good things to be saved, but it's also about relationship between people in the body of Christ and the gospel including things like um, racial reconciliation and things like that so much more practical application in that in that level all right thank you very much for being here this morning Oh, I can't even. In the I can't even pronounce that word, so I may preach. So the word preach. Bring her so that I might preach. Yeah, you on leads of mine. Yeah. <laughs> you crack me up. What? You know everyone. Well, that's an easy one. <laughs> I know, but I mean, how does that relate to your gospel? Well, it's like the, it's the. It's the same word that's used in Luke 7.22. The verb form of the noun euangelion is euangelizomai. So euangelizomai means to gospel. To gospel. Yeah. To gospel. I mean, Which we translate to preach the and gospel. also the faithfulness of Christ as opposed to faithfulness in Christ. 
how are, how are we wrong in saying increase? But for a minute, I thought it'd be right. Let me ask a question around that because that's what I wanted yeah. to ask. As a reader back then, Jewish or Gentile, if I read in or of, how does that impact me from what I'm hearing from? Right. The, you know, that's, that, that's where it's coming from. Paul's really strong on Jesus as the fulfillment of the promises of God. Right. And so that's why the faithfulness of Christ captures that in a way that faith in Christ does not. Faith in Christ puts it on me. It's about me. It's not about what... And so we've. I think we've minimized... And that's why in Romans we don't understand why he does 9 to 11 about God being faithful to the promises to the Jews. We think that's an aside because it's about faith versus works. But I think for Paul, you know, the righteousness of God in Romans means God's way of making the world right, which includes a Jewish Messiah. So and so the Jew- faithfulness of Christ emphasizes that Jewish wow. Messiah part. So as a Jewish reader, and I see, is it more palatable to me to have faith of Christ than it is faith in Christ? Yeah. So now, it doesn't, it's not an either or yeah. in the sense well, that he says all those who have faith in the faithfulness of Christ. Yeah. Right. That's so I, that's you still I'm have to have, be- yeah. I'm not saying you, you don't have, have to believe. believe. Yeah. You could take this in a universalistic sense. I say we're, we're saved by what Christ did, regardless of whether we believe in it or not. But I don't think that's true. Well, that's have to argue. But thank you so much. Yeah. That's his, yeah. That's, how many books has he written on that? Yeah, and I think he's I think he's correct. So are you living here now? All right. She's giving you a six-month trial. Try to turn this recording off.